welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, New International Version Hello, welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm Victoria Kay. If this is your first visit with Anchored by Truth, we want you to know that Anchored by Truth has a single focus, to restore a widespread understanding that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. For thousands of years, God has guided His people with His special revelation. Those cultures and communities that have embraced His guidance have been blessed. Those who have rejected it have suffered. And while many in our culture think that they may safely dismiss the Bible's transcendent truth, they are wrong, and our society is paying the price. That's why we're so happy that you are able to join us today on Anchored by Truth. We're in the midst of a series we call The Seriousness of Sin. Thus far in the series, we've talked about both the current and eternal consequences of sin, the reality and nature of hell, and, most recently, the enormous consequences of the first sin in the Garden of Eden. As he has been throughout the series, to help us continue to think through the hard truths that accompany sin's existence, we have R.D. Fierro. R.D. is an author and the founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., in our last two episodes of Anchored by Truth, we talked about the consequences that arose because of the first sin in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. And today, you want to point to another biblical illustration of how seriously God treats sins. Where are we going today? Today on Anchored by Truth, we're going forward in the book of Genesis because we want to look at what is possibly the second most serious consequence of sin described in the Bible, and that's in the flood that occurred during Noah's time. Why do you say the second most serious consequence of sin? Seems like a flood that wiped out all the people, birds, and land animals, except for those on the ark, is about as bad as it gets. Because without a doubt, the most serious consequence of sin in all of history, in fact, the most serious consequence possible, was the death of God's only Son on the cross. The flood of Noah, well, that was as serious as you can get on this earth, But the implications of Jesus' death on the cross, they transcended space and time. They literally had heaven in view as well as the earth. Well, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verse 33, does say, Then at three o'clock Jesus called out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This is a fascinating verse of Scripture. Jesus was God incarnate. How could God incarnate be abandoned by anyone, much less someone he would address as my God? As you said, the implications of the transaction that took place on the cross boggle the mind. Right. As many Bible commentators have noted, at that moment on the cross, heaven and earth 
were once again being connected by a divine being, because that divine being had created both heaven and earth. Every sin that's ever been committed by a human being, well, of course, they have been committed on the earth. But every sin also has heavenly implications because all sin is rebellion against a divine God who presides over heaven and earth. Now, Jesus was both fully divine as well as being fully human. Jesus had to be fully divine for his death to be of infinite value. You know, when a human being sins, that's a finite being sinning against an infinite God. They are incurring a sin debt that is literally infinite in value. Well, a finite person can never pay an infinite debt. Which is why finite people, when they are consigned to hell, must remain there eternally. Their punishment lasts eternally because they are there to pay an infinite debt. But they can't. Only a being of infinite value can pay an infinite debt. Jesus' sacrifice is credited to our account. That's why it is so important for us to engage in that transaction while there is still time. Correct. Jesus paid the infinite sin debt that we owed when he died on the cross for everyone who would come to place their trust in him. So, in terms of value, nothing can exceed the value of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But to get back to the specific topic of this series, which is the seriousness of sin, Jesus' sacrifice would never have been necessary if man had not sinned. That's why we have to take note of the fact that the most serious consequence of sin was that it necessitated that God sacrifice his only son to atone for sin's consequences. And if sin were not so serious, Jesus would not have had to die. But sin is serious. And one way we can see how serious sin is, is by looking at what happened when God surveyed the earth and could only find one righteous man on it. We heard part of that portion of the Bible in our opening scripture. In verse 5 of the 6th chapter of Genesis, we hear that, quote, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time, unquote. Verses 6 through 8 go on to say, quote, The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them, unquote. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I don't suppose there can be anything much more serious than when human beings do something that causes the Lord to regret that he made them. Wow! The human beings of Noah's age were so wicked They gave the almighty and perfect king regret. Well, a couple of notes are necessary here. When the Bible says that the Lord regretted that he had made people, that is what is called anthropopathism. It's a what? Well, saying that God regretted making man is anthropopathism. The term anthro just refers to something that pertains to human beings. Anthropology, for instance, is the study of human beings. Well, the Bible in this case, it's depicting God in terms of human emotion and experience. Now, God is omniscient. God knew that after Adam and Eve's first sin, 
the world would continue to descend into more and more wickedness. God was not surprised by the descent, but God was saddened by the descent. God is a personal being, and God experiences emotions, and the Bible records these emotions from time to time. God continued to give warnings to the people of Noah's day, just as he had warned Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The fall in the Garden of Eden is described in chapter 3 of Genesis. In chapter 4, we have the famous incident of Cain and Abel. Even before Cain killed his brother Abel, God said to Cain, quote, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it, unquote. You must have thought that Adam and Eve's expulsion from Eden would have been a severe enough punishment to make sure that they and their descendants avoided sin for decades or centuries. After all, they had just experienced, in a very real way, the consequences of sin. You might have thought the consequences of the very first sin would have been enough of a warning. But a gracious God continued to give explicit warnings to his children. Now, you might have thought that Adam and Eve losing paradise would have been enough of a warning to stop sinning. But no, sin begets sin. It did in those days, it does now. And in the very next chapter in Genesis, we hear the Lord warning another human being, Cain, of the consequences of sin. God always gives warnings to his people for reasons that they should not sin. But of course, Cain didn't listen to God's warning. Cain killed his brother Abel. And as a consequence, Cain was also evicted from his homeland. Verse 16 of chapter 4 says, So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned and were cast out of the Garden of Eden. Cain killed his brother and was even sent away from the region of Eden. Our first parents weren't deterred by the seriousness of sin, nor was their eldest son. And things did not improve in succeeding generations. And while biblical scholars are unified in their opinions about the dating for the flood of Noah, uh, Dr. Jonathan Sarfati, who is the lead scientist for Creation Ministries International, places the date of the flood at 1,656 years after creation. Now, for anybody who wants to understand Dr. Sarfati's calculation, he provides a detailed discussion of his calculation in his commentary on the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis called the Genesis Account. And I would highly recommend every serious Bible student get a copy of that book for their personal library. So let's just take Dr. Sarfati's date as a date that we can use. So we would know that after Adam was created, over the next 1600 years following Adam and Eve's expulsion from the Garden of Eden and Cain's murder of Abel, things just continued to get worse. In fact, things got so bad on the earth that the Bible uses the human emotion of regret to express what God felt about people continuing to engage in ever more sinful behaviors. And just as with the first sin, consequences were going to follow the steady progression of sin. The first sin in the Garden of Eden brought death into the created order and caused mankind to lose paradise. Cain's sin resulted in him being sent away from his family and home. 
But in Noah's day, sin had proliferated so much that expulsion was no longer appropriate. Mankind had pushed God from expulsion to extermination. Yes. The flood of Noah, which resulted in the death of all the people, animals, and birds, except for those on the ark, is to say the least a very graphic illustration of just how seriously God treats sin. But again, God always precedes bringing about the consequences of sin with a plain warning about those consequences. God warned Adam and Eve that if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would die. Well, Adam and Eve didn't listen, and death entered creation. God warned Cain that, quote, sin was crouching at the door, and that Cain, quote, needed to rule over it. But Cain didn't listen. Cain did not get a handle on his anger, and it cost Cain his home and his family. Well, by Noah's day, this pattern of not listening to God's warnings had been going on for 1,600 years. Now, we are not given all the details of the progress of sin, but its progression was so bad that there came a time when, quote, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time, end quote. We know that sin has multiplied in our culture in recent decades. Behavior that would never have been tolerated in previous times is now routinely featured on TV and movies, on the internet, and sadly, on our own streets. We can see sin's progression in our time, and we know that things are bad now. I'm not sure we can envision how bad they must have been in Noah's time for God to record in his word that, quote, every inclination of human hearts was only evil all the time, unquote. Yikes! Exactly. The people of Noah's day knew, or should have known, how serious sin was. Noah's lifespan overlapped the lifespan of Adam's great-grandson Cain by possibly as much as 300 years or so. And in fact, it's entirely possible that Noah was alive when Adam's grandson Enoch was alive. Noah's father, Lamech, and grandfather, Methuselah, They were alive while Adam was still living. The knowledge of Eden and what happened in the Garden of Eden, that should have been readily available. You know, we have to get our knowledge about the first sin ever created and its consequences from the Bible. And thank God we have the Bible. But there were a lot of people alive in Noah's day who could have learned about the consequences of sin from Adam himself. You know, that's something that we never think about. In our world, 1,600 years spans a lot of generations. But in the pre-flood world, it wasn't that way. Noah was only in the 10th generation down from Adam. As you said, it was possible that Noah's own father could have spoken to Adam face to face. And yet the availability of that personal knowledge did not stop sin from steadily escalating. And that's how dangerous sin is. That's how serious sin is. Noah's father and grandfather could have spoken personally with the very first sinner, and so they could have obtained a first-hand knowledge of how serious sin is, what the consequences of sinning could be. Well, for whatever reason, though, Noah's father and grandfather either didn't obtain the knowledge or they didn't heed the warnings, and they died in the flood along with everyone else. If Noah's father and grandfather had been as righteous as Noah was, Well, they probably could have had a place on the ark, too. But they weren't as righteous as Noah was, and they didn't have a place on the ark. 
and they paid the price for their wickedness alongside everybody else of their generation. That's something we rarely contemplate. We see the names in the Bible, especially the ones in Genesis, and we think of all those people must have been godly people. I mean, they're in the Bible. But Noah's own father and grandfather died in the flood that God sent into the world to punish the wickedness of the time. Most commentators think that it took Noah 50 to 75 years to build the ark. Now, we don't know whether Noah built the ark near his father or grandfather, but he might have. It's an amazing thought that Noah's father could have witnessed his son building this huge boat for 50 to 75 years and yet been so complacent about sin that he ultimately died even when salvation might have been right over the next ridge. And of course, that same observation could be made of everyone else alive on the earth at that time, except, of course, for Noah and his family. The people of that generation were so insensitive to the seriousness of the steadily increasing evil all around them that they just kept partying right up to the point that God made it clear he wasn't going to put up with sin forever. Jesus observed in Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, quote, When the Son of Man comes, things will be just as they were when Noah lived. People were eating, drinking, and getting married right up to the day when Noah went into the big boat. Then the flood came and drowned everyone on earth, unquote. And that's from the contemporary English version. Now the phrase, quote, when the Son of Man comes, quote, that's a euphemism for Jesus' return. So what Jesus said was that just as in Noah's day, there will be a time just before his return that sin will be so pervasive that most people are going to ignore it even though destruction for them is right around the corner. Why is that? Well, Jesus' return is going to usher in the beginning of eternal bliss and happiness for Jesus' children but it's going to usher in the day of eternal destruction for everyone who has rejected him. And so just as the people of Noah's day could see that Noah was preparing a means to be saved from the coming judgment of the flood, and just as those people rejected that means of salvation, well, a lot of people today are rejecting the only means of being saved from a coming worldwide flood of judgment. Let's just take a quick look at the pattern of how God has always dealt with the human race. You know, God initially created everything, and then God shaped it to be a perfect world for man to occupy. Man was not created until day six. By this time, the sun was in the sky, providing light and warmth. The oceans had been restrained, so he was able to walk about, and their plants in place bearing edible fruits and vegetables. Moreover, the land animals had been created, so Adam had the opportunity to be productive and creative right from the start. And Adam and Eve had each other, so they had companionship. We hear all about that in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 29, which say, quote, God created humans to be like himself. God made them his blessing and said, Have a lot of children. Fill the earth with people and bring it under your control. Rule over the fish in the ocean, the birds in the sky, and every animal on the earth. I have provided all kinds of fruit and grain for you to eat. And so it was, unquote. And that's also from the contemporary English version. And let's not forget that God put them, Adam and Eve, in the midst of a garden that was specifically designed for them. Adam and Eve had everything they needed to live peaceful, joyful lives, including the ability to add to their family whenever they wanted. 
God created the world and then shaped the world for man to fulfill the purpose for which man was created, which was to be God's steward over creation. But man chose to ignore God's warning, and then creation was blighted because man ignored the warning. Well, immediately after that, God began his plan of redemption. So let's fast forward 1,600 years, and during that period of time, man has, in fact, multiplied the way God commanded, but not in a good way. Man's increase in population had been accompanied by an even greater increase in sin. So, God again issues a warning. The warning was given to Noah, but all of Noah's neighbors would have heard about the warning. Building a big boat for 50 to 75 years would surely have occasioned some neighborhood gossip. But no one but Noah and his family heeded the warning. The consequence about which Noah had been warned then occurs. The flood arrives and God reshapes the world by it. We don't have time today to go into all the reshaping that took place, but even secular scientists agree that at one time in the past, a supercontinent was broken up into the configuration of the continents we see today. Well, the dispersion of the land masses around the world then helped to promote the worldwide dispersion of animals and people. And that was consistent with God's initial instructions to fill the earth. So we see then three major themes repeated through the flood, beginning with the very first sin that was committed in the Garden of Eden. First, God warns his people about the consequences of sin. Well, man then ignores the warning, and then the consequences of sin arrive just as God had warned. But second, God continues his plan of redemption despite the arrival of sin, just as God had purposed his plan of redemption before the foundation of the world. And then third, God continues to bring about the fulfillment of the original mission that he gave to Adam. Said slightly differently, Man's disobedience does not derail God's sovereign ordination. This is a truly amazing thought. Man's sin does not and cannot affect God's sovereignty over the created order. Again, it boggles the mind how God can keep his plans on track regardless of whether man chooses to be obedient. Yes, God never enacts the consequences for sin without giving a warning first. We see that pattern repeated throughout Scripture. When the Israelites were coming out of Egypt in the time of Moses, God promised them blessings if they were obedient once they arrived in the promised land. But he warned them that they would fall into captivity and exile if they began worshiping idols. Well, they began worshiping idols, and then exactly what God had warned them about occurred. Eventually, the Israelites were conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. But through the Persians, God kept his plan of redemption on track, and Jesus, the Messiah, was eventually born in the Promised Land, just as God had ordained. The disobedience of the Israelites caused them to suffer, but it did not derail God's plan to bring a Messiah out of the nation descended from Abraham or his grand plan of redemption. God warned the people of Noah's generation of the consequences of their continued wickedness. But, as Jesus observed, They ignored the warning completely until they were utterly destroyed. And one of the reasons we are taking the time to go through this history is to point out what happens when people don't learn the lessons that God is trying to teach. We are all confronted with the same choice today. Obey God, accept Jesus, and be blessed for all eternity. Or 
disobey God, reject Jesus, and have an eternity of condemnation. It is a stark choice. It is a stark choice. That's how serious sin is. Unconfessed sin and sin for which we do not repent has inevitable consequences. There are consequences in the here and now. If you drive drunk and you get caught, there's going to be consequences. If you drive drunk and you hit or kill somebody, God forbid, there are going to be consequences. Sin has consequences in the here and now, but it has even graver consequences after this life is over. God gave us the example of the flood of Noah as part of his warning to our world and even to our generation. The wise among us will learn from the lessons that are contained in the Bible. And just to be sure that those lessons were clear, Jesus restated them during his earthly ministry. Most Christians, and even a lot of non-believers, know John chapter 3, verse 16, that says, quote, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, unquote. Most people know John 3.16, but I'll also warrant that most people do not know John 3.18, which is just two verses later. It says, quote, Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Close quote. Sin is serious. I don't know how the Bible could convey that truth more clearly. In example after example in the Bible, we ignore God's warnings at our peril. And just as John 3.18 says, the biggest warning that the Bible conveys to us, to everyone, is the danger of ignoring Jesus. The people in Noah's world ignored the warning that God was going to punish the widespread wickedness of that day. Well, I'm sad to say that it appears that many in our own generation are making that same mistake. So, the big idea that we wanted to introduce today is that once sin began in the Garden of Eden, it did not stop. Cain continued the sin by killing Abel, and as succeeding generations were added, they continued adding to the warehouse of accumulating sin. Eventually, God saw only one righteous person left, and so God reshaped the world by a flood to continue the progress of his plans. We cannot derail God's plans, but we can create suffering for ourselves and others by trying. Sin is serious. We should imitate Noah and heed God's warning to us by being obedient. Our obedience does not save us. That is accomplished by the blood of Jesus. But our obedience can keep us safe through the storms of life while those about us are perishing. This sounds like a great time to pray. Today, let's listen to a prayer for persecuted Christians, our faithful brothers and sisters, holding on to Christ's promise despite the storms they are facing. Prayer for Persecuted Christians Father of comfort and deliverance, you are a merciful God and you have abundant compassion for those who suffer and are afflicted. Lord, we come to you to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters who are being oppressed, imprisoned, beaten, and killed because they belong to you. We grieve for them and we cry out to you on their behalf. We know that you will never leave or forsake any of your children and that you know their sorrows better than we will ever know them. 
Yet, we cannot remain silent, and so we plead with you to grant healing and release for them all. Help us to know what we can do to be a voice for those who cannot speak for themselves, and give us wisdom to know how we can help them. Help us to be generous with financial support, persistent in prayer, and committed to their cause. Cause our national leaders to act to improve their lot in accordance with your will. Raise up leaders who are willing to stand for you without compromise or flinching. We pray that you would cause the release and delivery of those whom you would have delivered. For those who remain in suffering, be a powerful presence in their lives. Grant them the peace that can only come from your special touch. We long for the day when all your people will stand united at your feet and where the tribulations of this world will be far behind. We and all your people pray, now and always, only in Christ's holy name. Amen. Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where We're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalcbooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S dot com. Thank you for your support.